According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in Philippians chapter 2. We're approaching verse 14. I'm delaying it as long as I can. But we are going to reach to the uh, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And uh, the most convicting verse in the entire Bible, I fail miserably uh, quite frequently in this verse. I'm the biggest grumbler in the church, and uh, so I freely confess that and uh, ask for your prayers <laughs> in that regard. But we're still, uh, we still have a lot of things to cover, though, with respect to the fear and trembling of verse 12 and really the, uh, the energetic working of our Father in verse 13. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That God's the one that works. And the same verb that's used twice there in verse 13 stresses that, that it's our Father who's at work. And uh, we want to be his fellow workers. We want to be volitionally participatory in what he's doing um, and not working against him in what he's doing. And uh, these, uh, I think these are the critical details that allow us to work out our salvation as uh, we're commanded to do there in verse 12. All right. So before we get started, let's take a moment for silent prayer, calling upon our Father's faithfulness to humble us that we might receive his word implanted. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the blessings that we have to receive your truth. Father, I thank you for the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. I thank you for the wisdom of your plan, whereby we simply humble ourselves, uh, approaching your throne of grace. And so, Father, we do so here this morning, calling upon your faithfulness to open the eyes of our understanding, calling upon your faithfulness, Father, to, uh, to lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. So, Father, teach us from your truth. I thank you that the word of God does not depend on how smart we are to figure these things out. It's how faithful you are to lead us in, uh, in this truth. So, Father, lead us and feed us. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so as we've been looking at it here, we come to, let me see. We're looking at point three as we talk about our salvation. Really, the, the final details of point two. Let me just back up to that. It's with fear and trembling, the salvation of yourselves, keep on working out. All right, that the with fear and trembling comes first, that it's spoken of as a mechanism, it's spoken of as a means. These are dative of means, as you uh, look at it grammatically. With fear and trembling, the salvation of yourselves, keep on working out. And we ask ourselves, is this phase one, phase two, phase three, or type one, type two, type three, uh, as you as you classify it? The fear and trembling, keep in mind that there is a just as statement. The just as in verse 12. Uh, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And you've got to make that connection properly. I think a lot of grammars miss it. I think a lot of commentaries miss it. And they, they, they handle this and they, they put their just as in the wrong place. And uh, it's not just as you've always obeyed, now work out your salvation in fear and trembling. That's not the way it's, it's structured. The just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. 
work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so we, we can connect that just as where it needs to be. That this fear and trembling, it is the manner that they have always obeyed. That is what they've been doing. They're not rookies. They're, they're, they're very experienced with the fear and trembling. Yeah, all right. And so they've been doing it. They've been doing the fear and trembling. They did it back when Paul was with them. They continue to do it in Paul's absence. The, the Philippian church has been a fear and trembling church the whole time. And so now looking forward to the working out of their salvation, that should not be intimidating to them because the same mechanism for doing that is the same fear and trembling they've been doing all along. Does that make sense? So the just as, this fear and trembling, it's not only the manner in which they will work out their salvation, it is exactly the manner in which they have always obeyed. And so that should be an encouragement to them. It shouldn't intimidate them when he gives them that command to work out their salvation. Because, yeah, they are very experienced in the fear and trembling department as far as that goes. We talk about the salvation of yourselves in uh, point B. And, of course, soteria is the noun, sozo is the verb, and throughout the New Testament and even the Old Testament in uh, the Hebrew expressions that uh, sozo and soteria are used for. The Bible uses save in at least four different ways, and some would say five different ways, all right? The three primarily that we're concerned about related in the spiritual application, phase one, phase two, phase three, we're very clear on past, present, future. We're a positional, experiential, and ultimate, okay? Can you, can you teach this to your neighbor? Have you heard it enough times? Are you solid on it now? Can you draw it out with pictures if you have to? All right. So that, that moment when you heard the gospel and trusted in Christ and received eternal life, that glorious moment, that is the moment of your salvation. And, uh, and I don't want to minimize that, but that's not the only thing that the Bible uses saved to talk about, or salvation, or, or the verb or the noun to talk about. That's only one out of these various options that we have. And if that's what we have in focus here, I think we've got a problem. I think we've got a big problem, okay? Working out your salvation, the idea that, that we can accomplish our own salvation. If, if, uh, if every use of the word salvation has to apply to that moment, <clears throat> this verse is a problem. How do we work for it? It's by grace. It's by faith. We can't work for it. We've got all these other passages of the Bible that tell us you can't work for your salvation. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it, right? So uh, clearly it's not phase one that we're talking about here in Philippians. Phase two, though, is the experiential application, and that is used constantly throughout the New Testament. There are just a handful of examples I put on the slide there. Uh, my favorite, Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 15. Maybe you have others that you prefer to use that, that click with you and, and you prefer to use those. That's fine. As long as you see that in the process now as saved ones, as believers, we have daily issues, daily temptations, daily struggles, and we need to be saved. We need to be saved from the power of sin. See, And uh, when those temptations hit, uh, we, again, we need His grace. We need to walk by faith. So don't think that uh, the mechanisms are any different. The mechanisms are still by grace through faith in, uh, in from phase one salvation to phase two salvation and phase three salvation and so forth. And so uh, 
we start to get to here now and we start to say, well, now, wait a minute, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Maybe that's what this is talking about. This must be what this is talking about because this is talking about a post-salvation experience for these Philippians. They're already believers. They're already regenerate. They're going to go to heaven when they die. But they still, in, in the unfolding of time, day by day, they need to work out their salvation with this ongoing fear and trembling in what they're dealing with. And so I would agree with that. But then also I would go past that and look at phase three salvation as well, which I don't think is very frequently looked at here in Philippians 2, uh, but I think the context demands it. And so uh, we have the ultimate salvation, the ultimate salvation in the future, a day we're looking forward to, which is our physical death or rapture, whatever the case may be. Whatever the, the mechanism is the Father chooses for us to leave earth and enter into the personal presence of Jesus Christ. And that's either physical death or if we happen to be living in the rapture generation, which I trust we are, then uh, that moment will come. And at which point then we have the ultimate sanctification. We have the ultimate uh, salvation whereby we're saved from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. We will never be clothed with a body that will ever have that sin issue ever again. We put on the body of glory. So those are the different different ways there. Now, I went ahead and rewrote a point since last Wednesday because uh, I didn't like the way it was phrased, honestly, and I uh, thought we could do better with it. So uh, here it is. And uh, is this it? I thought I had rewritten it. Ah, okay. I did rewrite it, but I didn't change the slide. All right, I will uh, change the slide for you and uh, have that ready on Wednesday night. Um, Sorry? All right. This is what you saw on Wednesday. Am I agreed? This is what you saw on Wednesday? All right, then you don't need to see that again, and I rewrote it, so I will show you something different next Wednesday. (laughs) All right. Um, Because... um, I do see a phase three emphasis here, but I don't want to deny the phase two application as well. So let's uh, uh, just keep in mind that we're, the only thing we're ruling out absolutely is the phase one. There is no aspect of phase one in, anywhere in this, in this chapter. All right, So uh, we're looking at phase two, we're moving on to phase three as well as far as how we use the term saved, how the Bible uses the term saved. And so when Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's talking primarily about phase two, but he's also looking forward to that phase three because the context has Jesus being exalted and receiving a name above every name. The contrast here says if we work out our salvation, what, what is it that we are producing? What is it that we are bringing about? What is the result of what we're doing? And ultimately, it's well done, good and faithful servant. It's the pronouncement that we receive in the judgment seat of Christ. It's the reward that we receive when we get there, see? And so we have the, uh, the tandem there. All right. Now the verb, the verb to work out. All right, do you like to work out? We got a verb here that's, different than the verb we have in the next verse, and it's different for a reason. So keep on working out is a compound of ergodzomai. It is kat ergodzomai, right? So we have a compound of ergodzomai. And then um, it's a different verb that we have in the next verse when it's the father who's at work, okay? And so this is a verb, and we're expected to do this. 
It is an imperative. It is an active voice. We are expected to do this. It is a middle imperative, however, so it has both an active and a passive uh, aspect. Keep on working out. Kat ergodzestha. Second person plural present middle imperative of kat ergodzamai. And this verb, number 2716 in the New Testament, is used 22 times. So it is not a, a quickie. It's not a short thing. It's not something that's only used once or twice. It's, uh, it's used in many places, in many ways, and it's used in a variety of ways, which makes it interesting, okay? 22 times, but only once is it ever a command. Only once is it ever an imperative. In every other case, it's an indicative verb. It's just describing something that's happening. It's just describing an outcome or a production or a result. And those are, uh, are I think, useful to look at to see uh, the, the variety of things. Sometimes uh, it's, it's simple if it's all just used the same way every time and then it's a no-brainer. That's the only way it can be taken, so there you go. <laughs> That's what it is and move on. But in, uh, in a place where it's used, or in a, in a term that's translated so many different ways, then, uh, then you're left with a puzzle. You're left with a puzzle, you're left with a legitimate consideration, since uh, it seems to be uh, a, uh, what do we call it, a squirmy little thing. Uh, it's, it's hard to nail down, it's hard to, to put in a box, because it, it wiggles so much, Right? And uh, uh, you, can, you can consider that here in the case of kat ergodzamai. And so you look at this color wheel and you think, wow, that's a lot of color. <laughs> okay, Which means that's a lot of uh, nuance. That's a lot of uh, interpretive uh, consideration. See, because, uh, and, and this is true in any language, not just Greek to English, but anytime you're, you're translating from one language to another language, it may be that there is a, an expression that, that you struggle to find an equivalent. You struggle to find a way to, to take it into the received language from the, from the source language. And so uh, in, in 22 different uh, uses, look how many different uh, ways that it's rendered with produced, produces, producing, with doing, commit or committing, brings about, accomplished, does, effecting, performed, prepared, done. Okay, so there's, there's a, <clears throat> a uh, significant uh, um, variety of ways that it's used there. <clears throat> Plus a couple here that don't get the flyouts, they should. Work out, that's ours, and carried out. 1 Peter 4.3, for the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a court, and we know that text, having perused, uh, pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. <clears throat> Whatever you have in your past, leave it there. It's in the past and that's enough. <laughs> okay? And uh, whatever, whatever you've done, that's sufficient. You've carried it out, it's done. So let it go. Anyway, these color wheels are also useful in the fact that they're proportional. Those little fly-out blocks are proportional. So these last ones over here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of them, those are all single-use uh, expressions. Uh, this one here, single-use. This one here, double-use. You want to fly that one out. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is also no violation. That's Romans 4.15. 
Romans 5, 3, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, okay? And so I think with all of these, yes, there's a variety. There is a, a number of different ways that it's brought about, but there's also a, a, a similarity between all of them in the sense that the underlying idea contained in all of these expressions is the fact that there is a result, there is an effect, there is something that is done, there is something tangible that is brought into existence that's a consequence of something having been done. All right, so does that make sense? So when, when, it, when you think of it as a working word, when you think of it as, as something that's a, you know, you're doing something, you're working, you're doing, but it is, it has the stress of the consequence, the result that is, that there is something that has been affected. So the idea of production, uh, achievement, accomplishment, that's, that's the underlying idea, regardless of how you bring it into English, regardless of how you translate it. And if we're clear on that, then I think we can proceed. And so, because that then forms the, that then brings about that bigger question, well then, how can I be the one doing it? How can the results be left in my hands? If, uh, if, if we're talking about the results, then I've got a problem. Because a lot of times I'm doing things and I never see the results. A lot of times I'm walking by faith and I'm just trusting the Father that there's some kind of result that's going to happen either in time or eternity and say, Father, uh, it's in your hands. What am I doing? Okay. And, uh, and so thankfully, um, we have verse 13 that follows verse 12. <laughs> okay. Thankfully, we can have an imperative that says, I'm doing the work. There are results, but it's, am I the one really doing the work? Or is it the Father who's doing the work? The Father is the one who works in you both to will and to work of his good pleasure. And so we have this tandem of verses, verse 12 and verse 13, that will hopefully uh, be a blessing for us as we deal with it. All right. Any more of these that we need to see? You can actually, by the way, if you click in the middle, then it expands all of them. It branches out all of them and it does so in the decreasing order. So it will start at the top and it will show you the six places where it's used as produced and give you snippets for all of those. Six out of the 22 uses is translated produced and you can look at those. Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Happy for that? I'm happy for that. I'm glad to know that there's some kind of production happening when, uh, when we're enduring what it is we're enduring. Or sin taking opportunity through the commandment <coughs> produced in me coveting of every kind. That's Romans 7, 8. And again, you see how productive sin is. Sin can be productive. That sin nature, that no good thing that's in you, it does a lot of things. And it's good at what it does. It actually gets better through, uh, over the years. <laughs> Our sin nature gets stronger. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, some other things there. And you'll notice they're all productive. 2 Corinthians 9.11 You will be enriched in everything for all liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. So that's productive. Uh, James 1.3 Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. That's why we're to consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It's a production. A um, bunch of times in Romans 4 it's just rendered as doing. What I am doing I do not understand. No, uh, so now no longer am I the one doing it. 
Now, might we want to retranslate that with something stronger than just doing? Because it is producing, it is productive, it is effective. But sin is the thing that's doing it. Sin is the thing that's producing it. Yeah, there's a produced there in 7, 8, and then a bunch of doings in 15, 17, 18, and 20. Committed. Men with men committing indecent acts. Achieving, accomplishing indecent acts. I am my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit have already judged him who has so committed this. That's the man of incest in 1 Corinthians 15. All right. Romans 15, 18, which rendered accomplished. I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. And so there's another encouraging use that uh, will hopefully take the pressure off when we realize that, wait a minute, yes, we're expected to do it, but um, we're not the only ones doing it. In fact, primarily, we're the fellow workers, with the Father working through us, with Christ leading us in the ministry. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Or he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. 2 Corinthians 5, 5. The Father is accomplishing what he wants to accomplish, and he's uh, effective in what he does. Ephesians 6, 13. Take up the full armor of God so we'll be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, having affected, having accomplished, having resulted, having produced everything, stand firm. All right, so there we have that. I think the last thing to say related to this verb, though, is um, how do we understand this in terms of a middle voice? How do we understand this as both active and passive? Because this is both. This is a middle voice, is an active verb, and yet the subject of the verb not only accomplishes it, but receives a benefit or receives an effect of what gets done. So as I actively do this, it is a present middle imperative. As, as you and I actively do this, not only are we accomplishing the activity of the verb, we are ourselves receiving consequences or receiving the benefit of having doing this. Does that make sense? Middle voices are fun, okay? Active voices are easy. You just go do something, right? So in an active voice, you just tell somebody to do something. And... Uh, um, Sometimes I use punching, sometimes I use kissing, it just depends if how mean I want to be. But um, <laughs> so the the active voice is you have to do it. If I tell Randy to kiss Gina, that's a that's an active voice, okay? And probably an easy command to do, right? And so he would have to do that. I could rephrase it in the passive voice and say, be kissed, right? Be kissed by. So I would order Gina, be kissed by Randy. All right. Now, how do you obey a passive imperative? There's a lot of passive imperatives in the Scripture, like be filled with the Spirit, be made complete. Okay? There's, there's lots of passive imperatives. How do, you, how do you obey a passive imperative? You just sit there and let it happen? Yeah, basically. Sit there and let it happen. Which is sometimes harder than you might think. Maybe she doesn't want Randy to kiss her. All right. Did he shave closely? Um, you know, 
But here's the thing. There's a lot of passive imperatives, and we don't want them. Okay? And, uh, and so we run. We run from our testing, or we block, or we, or we do something. We take an active step to hinder something from happening that, that would otherwise happen if we don't express our negative volition to be uh, contrary to the will of God. Middle imperative blends the two. Okay? It's an active voice with, with a passive uh, component in the sense that we do it, the subject still does the activity of the verb, but in so doing, the subject of the verb also receives or has an interest in the outcome, has an interest in the outcome uh, on some participatory basis. Okay? And those are, those are a, a curious thing to study as well. And, the be- and speaking of kissing, the best illustration of this was the one that Ron Merriman used years and years ago. Pastor Ron Merriman, 84 years old, I think, the last time I saw him. He's older than that now. But, and his wife was on the front row and uh, just looking up and adoring <laughs> and just fun. And he, he, said, I, uh, he said, I kiss my wife in the, in the middle voice. You know, wow, how cool is that? Because the subject accomplishes the action but has a interest, a personal interest in the consequences of the, of the result. Anyway, you've got to be a Greek language geek to, to laugh at something like that. I thought it was great. I thought I enjoyed what he said there. <clears throat> All right, so keep on working out your salvation. Keep on working out your salvation. Now, point three then. Assigning the production, achievement, slash accomplishment to us for any salvation seems ludicrous until we learn that it is God himself who is at work in us. Okay? And I don't care if you're going to talk about phase one, phase two, phase three, any kind of salvation in the Bible, if you're going to assign that to us to make it happen, I think it's ludicrous. Assigning the production slash achievement slash accomplishment to us for any salvation seems ludicrous until we learn that it is God himself who is at work in us. In other words, we're sweating it in verse 12 until we read verse 13. To, uh, to work out your salvation. And then we get verse 13. For, by way of explanation, by way of uh, explanation and uh, uh, sweat wiping encouragement, <laughs> okay, uh, just wipe the sweat off your brow. God's the one at work. For it is God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And, and really, phase one salvation, is that something I can produce? Can I work that? Can I do that in such a way that I produce the effect? No, there's no way that I can do that. It's got to be by grace through faith. Christ did all the work. He went to the cross. He said, Tetelestai, it is finished. The, the good news is preached, the offer is made. The only thing I do is respond by faith. And I accept. See, I trust, I believe in Christ to receive eternal life. It's not left to me to produce it. If it was left to any of us to produce it, we'd all be in hell. That's, uh, I mean, that's it. Total depravity, we can't produce a thing that would commend ourselves to God at all. Likewise, phase two salvation. Phase two salvation can we produce our own salvation? Can we save ourselves from the power of sin? Can we save ourselves from a temptation? No, 
Someone who says he can, show me from the Scriptures. All right. Show me from the Scriptures. I know that uh, he that is in me is uh, stronger than he that is in the world. I'm not stronger. But uh, the power that works in me is stronger. I know that the Word of God is able to save. Okay? That's why it says, with humility, receive the Word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Because you can't do it. You and yourself can't do it. The arm of flesh will fail you. And this is, uh, I think, the undeniable testimony of Scripture. And we'll, we'll expand it and we'll give some, some issues here on this. When we learn that it's God Himself who is at work in us, then we have, uh, we have a, a tremendous goad, a tremendous encouragement to grab hold of that truth and, and excel still more. We have a, an encouragement to, not a, not a snare to just laziness, to just sit back and do nothing and say, okay, well, God does all the work. Wait a minute. He does the work in us, but we are His fellow workers. So it's not, a, it's not an excuse to laziness. It's not like if you have that Energizer Bunny on your, on your shift that you think, hey, I can just let Him do the whole thing and I can just sit here like a slug and get paid for it. Wait a minute. God doesn't work that way. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of fun to have a coworker like that, but you don't want to just, you don't just want to, you know, Drafts like drafting in, in car racing, you know, you don't just want to draft behind him while he's doing all that. Um, anyway, God is the one that's at work. For by way of explanation, it is God who is energeo at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Again, it's a paraphrastic expression, and we've got some fun things to talk about this. The one working in you is God. The one working in you is God. And it's paraphrastic like some other expressions. It's, it actually doesn't say God is working in you. It says the one who is working in you is God. Slight uh, emphasis difference there. The one working in you is God. Similar to uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Same, same expression here. The one working in you is, presently, continuously, all day, every day, the one working in you is God. And He continually works in you. He's called ha energon. What's that? That's a participle of energeo. But just think of ha energon if you want to. You could even think of it as a noun. That's what a participle is, right? A verbal noun. It's just ha energeo or ha energon. Present active participle from energeo. And if you see a similarity between energeo and energetic energy, words of that nature, you can see uh, uh, an, an etymology there and see how useful it is, how productive it is. Because uh, if we don't let God do the work, we run out of energy how quickly? Very quickly. <laughs> and even worse, when we don't let God do the work, we're using the wrong energy to begin with. We're using the flesh. Anytime we're departing from the will of God, we're in the realm of carnality. We're employing flesh rather than spirit. We're employing our own energy, which is so finite and so weak and so pathetic. Why, Why would we do such a thing? So God is ha energon. That's a present active participle. It comes from the verb energeo. 1754, Strong's number. How cool is that? 1754. That was the year the Bolanders arrived in, in Philadelphia. 
when Adam Bolander sailed on board the, uh, the Good Intent. How cool is that for a ship name? They got on board the Good Intent in uh, Amsterdam after they sailed down the, uh, the Rhine River. They got married on the Rhine River, by the way. They were single when they left. They got married on the Rhine River. They boarded the ship in Amsterdam, sailed across, one stop in England, and then Philadelphia in October of 1754. All right. Strong's number, 1754, that's what it was. 21 New Testament uses. And it is a, it's a marvelous word for work. It's a marvelous word for working. It's marvelous to see uh, how the pressure is, is, uh, is lifted when God's the one doing it, okay? But still, it, He calls us His fellow workers so we don't have a license to be a slug. We're expected to, to work with Him as He does it. See? And you say, well, how much am I really contributing? Doesn't matter. Okay? Can you hold a flashlight while He fixes under the hood? <laughs> okay? Um, whatever you're doing, He doesn't need us but he commands us to work because he's working through us. We're the tool in his hand. And this should be clear as well. 1 Corinthians 12, 6. Join me there. And as soon as you flip there, you're going to say, oh yeah. 1 Corinthians 12, 6. Because it's part of that tandem, of, it's part of that triplet. Verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. You remember? Oh Yeah. Uh huh, uh huh. See? You know what I'm talking about? Verse 4 talks about our spiritual gift. Verse 5, no, verse 4 talks about our gift. Verse 5 talks about our ministry. Verse 6 talks about get her done. The work that the Father wants us to do. And yet, we're not the one doing it. Okay? So, verse 4 there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. We all have spiritual gifts. There's 11 permanent spiritual gifts. Mine's pastor, teacher. You know what yours is? All right. The Holy Spirit gives you that gift, the moment of your salvation, and empowers that gift for the rest of the, your life on earth and forever. Okay? And so there's uh, the gift. And the Holy Spirit is the source and the empowerment for your gift. There are also varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And so ministries are not gifts. Ministries are different from gifts. We've got to be clear on that. My gift is pastor teacher, but I could be in widely different ministries with other pastor teachers. Okay? Mine happens to be the pulpit ministry of a local church, but there are many other ministries that God will put gifted pastor teachers into. They might be jail chaplains, hospital chaplains, missionaries. They might be uh, in, in any number of different capacities. They might head up uh, parachurch organizations. They might be involved in a, in a variety of other things. And so uh, Jim Myers is a missionary pastor in Kiev, Ukraine. He's got the same gift I do, just a totally different uh, ministry field. Okay? Maybe not totally different, but largely different ministry field. Pastor Stan Newton, by the way, pray for Stan. He, uh, he just was blessed, and God is using him in some amazing ways. He left uh, the, the pulpit ministry in, in uh, Houston last fall, uh, moved up to Carrollton, and, uh, and just this last month was, uh, received his new ministry calling. And uh, it was offered, he accepted, and he's going to spend probably the rest of his days because they wanted a 15-year commitment, 
and uh, he just turned 55. <laughs> All right, so um, it was a big it was a big deal, and he and Carla had to pray over it. We were praying with him, and it was a it was a you know a consideration because it's a totally different ministry. He realizes that when he accepted this, that it means he will likely never have another pulpit. He will never have a, a ministry such as he's had up till now. Okay. But uh, to be the headmaster of this Christian school, uh, this uh, high school, uh, is extraordinary. The blessings that, and I think it's marvelous, that uh, they took a gifted pastor teacher to put him in that role as the headmaster of this, uh, of this Christian high school. So anyway, pray for that. And that's, uh, that's a ministry. That's a ministry. So the, he has a gift and he has a ministry. We're supposed to fulfill our ministry, and it's a, we have to run with endurance. And, and, and there's differences in ministry. And you notice it's not the Holy Spirit, it's the Lord that's connected to ministry there, right? And you would expect that because Jesus is the one that's the head of the church. And Jesus is the one that opens doors no man can shut, and he shuts doors no man can, can open. Uh, ministry pursuits are, are matters of open and closed doors. And if he opens a door, that's your ministry. Go through it. Okay, and so it's the Lord that leads in ministry. It's the Lord that we're yoked to, uh, as uh, take my yoke upon you. And so we're yoked to the Lord. We walk with the Lord in our ministry pursuits. So we have gifts, we have ministries, and then we have effects. And uh, that's verse uh, six. So there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons, who works all in all. All right, all things and all, it's an idiomatic use, all things and all persons. I think that, that second persons is, is he works all things in all gifts and ministries, in all gifted ministries. That might be a better way to think of it. It's the same God. Now, if we have the Spirit and we have the Lord, who's left? Context, right? I think it's full Trinitarian here. We have the Spirit, we have the Lord. The only member of Trinity left is God the Father. God the Father is the one that's at work. I think it's the same context in Philippians 2. And so variety of effects but the same God who works all things and all persons. And so the one working in you is God. The one continuously working in you is God. The effects are in God's hands. The effects are God's to bring about. And so you can think of the effects. So my uh, spiritual gift is pastor-teacher. My uh, ministry is the uh, is the uh, is Austin Bible Church. That's my ministry. All right, other ministries as well. I did prison ministry for a while. I do missionary ministry occasionally. Other ministries come along. Can you have more than one ministry? Can you have more than one gift? And then, what are the effects? What are the effects? Well, a lot of effects. <laughs> Those are the things that get done. Those are the, the things, the production, the, the, the things. I think uh, Pastor Cliff Beveridge is an effect of this ministry. Pastor Dan Craw is an effect of this ministry. Ultimately, we all are ongoing effects of this ministry. That what the Father does through the gifts and through the ministries, those are the effects. And uh, are they up to us to make them happen? God's the one that's at work. What's God doing? What are the effects? All right. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 6. <clears throat> you might also think of other effects. Just things that get done, those are effects. And thank God for doing them. Ephesians 1, 11. 
part of this long sentence that goes from verse 3 all the way down to verse 14. One long run-on sentence, but there you go. And uh, of all the things the Father's doing and has been doing since the foundation of the world, you've got a context for this, like I say, it goes all the way back to verse 3, but we'll just pick it up. Um, his goal is not even the church age, his goal is to look forward to the age to come, that is the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven, things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who does what? Energeo, works all things after the counsel of His will. So keep in mind, if the Father is working in you, why is He doing that? Is He doing the things you want Him to do? Or is he doing the things he wants to do as a part of his eternal plan for the maximum glory of Jesus Christ? He works all things. Let me read that again just to make sure. Because my carnality wants to read that verse to say, who works all things according to my personal happiness. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Isn't that Christianity today? Moralistic therapeutic deism that says, God wants me to be happy? You can fill a stadium with church people that preaching a theology that God wants you to be happy and he wants to make sure you've got plenty of money to make sure you can be happy because you can't be happy if you don't have plenty of money and God wants you to be happy now the verse doesn't say that he works all things for my personal happiness it says he works all things after the counsel of his will and what is the counsel of his will that's his eternal purpose uh, it's, it's called the mystery of his will in verse 9 according to his kind intention which he purposed in christ with a view to the fullness of times verse 10 the summing up of all things in christ nowhere in there is my personal happiness today or any day of time okay let's not be so anthropocentric in our in our christianity centered on man centered on us we want to be Christocentric. We want to be centered on Christ because the Father is exalting Christ from Alpha to Omega and every day in between. So that's Ephesians 1.11. Ephesians 3.20 as a contrast to 2.2, but Ephesians 3.20 to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Now he's able to. <laughs> does that mean he always does? Or sometimes do we hinder that? Sometimes do we fail to pray? Do sometimes we depart from His will? Do sometimes we take ourselves out of the uh, situation whereby He is able to do far more abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that Energeo works within us? The Father's at work. He is at work with His power and He gets it done. And He's able to get it done. Assuming, of course, we let it. Assuming, of course, we walk according to that power. That we don't grieve the Spirit, quench the Spirit, resist the Spirit. That we don't turn our back from that power and try to use our own power. Remember the 2-2, um, Ephesians 2-2. What, what, what do unbelievers do? They walk according to the course of this world. According, of the, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the Spirit that is now working, same verb, energeo, in the sons of disobedience. So that's what we used to do as unbelievers. 
That's how we used to walk, according to that satanic power, that satanic working. The prince of the power of the air is at work, and he is working in his children. The father works in his children. So clearly, we want nothing to do with that former manner of walk. Sadly, though, how often do we go back to it? How often does the dog return to its vomit? How often does the sow, after washing, uh, go back to the mire? Just face it, pigs like dirt. That's what they do. That's where they're happy. (laughs) Philippians 2.13, of course, is our passage. It's God who's at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Colossians 1.29. And you see why this is so uh, essential, why this, this principle is so vital. It's not just nice to know. I think it's a matter of life and death. Because if we don't take advantage of the Father working in us, if we don't walk in the Spirit, if we don't walk in the light, what's the alternative? Satan working the prince of the power of the air that works in this fallen world, going back to the flesh, the empowerment of the flesh, that no good thing. It's, it's one or the other. It's a, spirituality is an absolute. Colossians 1.29. And um, suffering is a good thing. He says in verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. You know, Christ's afflictions, we think of the passion of the Christ, what he did on Friday, April 3rd, 33 AD. But guess what? Christ continues to suffer in the sense of the body of Christ that suffers today. Around this world today, the body of Christ is suffering. And do we participate in that? Do we fill that up? What's our share in this? On behalf of His body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So all these afflictions are ongoing. How do we fill it up? How do we come alongside and comfort and encourage and minister and serve? Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That was His calling, His ministry, His gift. And this is how he was coming alongside to fulfill their struggles. The mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. What a powerful description of the Christian way of life. Now, for this purpose, I also labor. And you think about kapiao, which is, you know, laboring to the point of exhaustion. Striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. Again, just because God's at work in you, is that a license to be lazy? Is that a lazy license? Paul didn't think so. He said he kapiao, labored to the point of exhaustion. He toiled. He toiled. Don't you just love it when you finish a seven-hour day and you come home and you change clothes, shower, 
and then go out to your second job because there's six, six or seven more hours in front of you. Wow. <laughs> All right. And a blessing to... That, that was Christopher's story yesterday. I'd had a blessing to uh, encourage him in that. So you got it. Hey, you're working two jobs. Great. Glad they didn't overlap so you're not late to the second one. You have time to get home and shower and change clothes because the first one was an outdoor job, the second one's an indoor job. And uh, so be thankful for that. It's not a license to be lazy. So he says, for this purpose I labor, striving according to. See, there's an accordance. There's a, there's a tandem. There's a, there's a correspondence because we are his fellow workers. We are yoked to Jesus Christ. There should be, a, there's a harmony there. All of those things you read about when, when there's no harmony, no fellowship, there's no, a lot, you know, between light and darkness, right? What, what harmony, what, what fellowship, what, all those things that there aren't, there are with Christ. There is harmony, there is likeness, there is, I'm, I'm misquoting this, but that's, uh, that's what we have when we're yoked to Jesus Christ. And so yes, there is according to, according to his power, which mightily works within me. So God's at work, but we're not, uh, we're not licensed to be lazy. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.13 God's at work, we've seen the Father at work, we've seen the Son at work, we've seen a power at work through the filling of the Holy Spirit, we've got power. And then how does this just happen? Is this something mystical? Is this something that uh, just happens? Is it automatic? Does every believer experience this? I wish. (laughs) It comes through the Word of God. And uh, for those believers that are not abiding in the Word of God, that aren't letting the Word of God do the work, how much work can the Father do in and through us of His good pleasure if we're not putting the Word in there for Him to work with? Okay? 1 Thessalonians 2.13 For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Is that phase one salvation? Automatic for every believer that has eternal life? Or is that phase two salvation? Experiential. For everyone that walks by faith. For everyone that believes each promise, each day, each temptation... Remember, the word didn't profit the Exodus generation because it was not united by faith in those who heard. It's phase two, experiential. And so uh, it's the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Receive the word and let it go to work. Receive the word and believe God. Watch that word go to work. With humility, receive the word implanted that is able to save your soul able to are you letting it are you letting it do its work are you working with it that's what we see here and so i i love that i love the language of implanting i love the language i mean just think about implanting language what is it that we take in that then gets implanted 
You know, it's kind of interesting. I I use pregnancy as the as the illustration because I've never been pregnant, but I understand it. I've seen it four times in, in, with my wife. Think about implanted. Think about the Word of God richly dwelling within you. Richly dwelling. And so there it is. And, and uh, you know, just like the, the baby that kicks every now and then reminds you that it's there. The Word of God kicks every now and then and says, hey, remember me? Right? Sits on your bladder and keeps you from getting a good night's sleep. Think how uh, the Word of God just sits on your spiritual, the bladder of your soul and doesn't let you sleep. And you just keep thinking about something and thinking about something because the Word of God says, hey, there's something more important than sleeping right now. You've got to let the Word of God richly dwell within you. And there's a real blessing and a benefit to that. And it will do the work according to the Word that does its work. It also performs its work in you. The Word's going to do the work if you let it, if you apply faith. And I think also a good verse for this is 1 Corinthians 15.10. Now it doesn't use energeo, so it it really doesn't go with the, the slide of energeo uses, but even without the use of energeo, it's still clearly a parallel. I don't mind putting it up there as a parallel concept. 1 Corinthians 15.10. I plan on being raptured, so I don't plan on a tombstone, but if in fact I do have a tombstone someday, uh, this is what I want carved on there. 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Because it's not a, grace is not a license to laziness. I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. How's that? The grace of God with me. Now there's no inner ghetto and there's no working there, but I think we can understand it as being there. It's, it's God's grace, right? The grace of God with me. And so I don't have a license to be a slug to be lazy about it. I think there's a lot of slugs and they're going to be shocked when they get to the, great, to the judgment seat of Christ and they see all the wood, hay, and stubble. They see what should have been their divine good production burned up in flames because there were works designed, prepared beforehand. They should walk in them and they didn't walk in them. So we have that. The one at work in you is God. God's present ministry in and through us had a prototype ministry in and through Jesus Christ. And this is an encouraging thing to think about. What He's doing through us here in the church age, He actually had a a prototype with Jesus. Like right now, President Trump's getting some prototypes for this wall that he wants to build. And have you seen those? Look at the different samples that they've constructed. They've got eight or nine, ten of them. And, uh, you know, I like all of them. (laughs) Any of them would be fine in my mind. Okay, pick one, build it. But it's a prototype. And so there's a prototype there that says, look, here's one. And if you want, we can make more and let's just do a whole bunch of these. And this is what God did with Jesus. Because he worked in Jesus as a prototype. And now we're in Jesus, are we not? We are in Christ. And so 2 Corinthians 5 addresses this with our ministry of reconciliation. 
ministry that we all have, by the way. We all have different gifts. We all have different ministries, but here's a ministry we all share. There's a variety of ministries, and some have uh, nursery ministry or janitorial ministry or, or uh, you know, lawn cutting ministry, property ministry, music ministry, Sunday school ministry, all kinds of ministries. But here's one that we share. Everybody in this room has this ministry because it's entrusted to the entire body of Christ. So um, we're ambassadors. Verse 18 says, uh, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself. God the Father did this. Reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Notice that? The Father did it, but he did it through the Son. The Son was the agent, but the Father was the, the doer, the authority. Namely, that God was in Christ. You see that? Today, you and I are in Christ. But for the three and a half years of earthly ministry, what was the Father doing? He was in Christ. Reconciling the world to Himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. The Father said, uh, Jesus said, Father, count us not against them. They know not what they do. The, the Son asked for it. The Son answered that prayer and didn't count their trespasses against them. Because he counted it against Jesus. He was in Christ and counted human rebellion against Jesus. Not only that, he has now committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us. Notice that? God was working through Christ, reconciling the world to himself. He is still working through Christ, reconciling the world to himself. But through Christ, that is the body of Christ, now through us. God works through us in our ambassador function. Does that take the pressure off in your evangelism? Realize, hey, God's in me. God's working in and through me. God is begging this lost soul. As though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you. We beg you. Are you too uh, prideful to beg? <laughs> Is begging beneath you? It's not beneath God. He's working in us. We beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There is a begging and a pleading. And it's the Father that's at work in us. God's present ministry in and through us had a prototype ministry in and through Jesus Christ. That's a fun thing to think about. All right, we'll pick up here Wednesday night, Lord willing, and rapture pending. Father, I thank you for your truth. Thank Your word is truth. Sanctify us in your truth, Father. Might we receive it with humility. Might we live it by faith. And by faith, Father, uh, see this work do its work. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.